says we're live on Zoom. And I am going to wait for it to kick over live on YouTube so it doesn't mess me up so that I can mute it. And we are live. Welcome everybody to Divi Chat episode 136. My name is David Blackman and we're going to talk about how to hand off your, how to train your clients with their new Divi website. So we didn't have an official title and you know, we're just kind of wrangling back and forth what it should be, but that's pretty much it. So uh, before we dive off into today, let's meet this awesome Divi Chat panel. We're going to start with ladies first, Sarah. Hey guys, Sarah Oates here with Endure Web Studios. Uh, you can catch me at endure.com.au or Endure Web on the socials. And sorry to start today with blowing my nose. <laughs> Much apologies. Awesome. All right, Tim, go. Oh, man, I don't think I've ever, it's been a while since I've been second because normally, <laughs> normally we have a couple ladies that go first. But um, anyways, Tim Streifler here and uh, I'm broadcasting from San Clemente, California. And you can find me online at divilife.com for all my Divi products, timstreifler.com, which is my client services business, and then wpgears.com, which is mine and David's podcast and course business. Uh, so yeah, happy to be here and happy to talk Divi training. Awesome. Well, my name is David Blackman with Aspen Grove Studios, Divi Space, and as my cohort partner over there, Tim Streifler said, wpgears.com. We just launched class three of the Divi Business Expert course, and it gives you some training on your business. So if that's something you're interested in, come check us out. Um, yeah, Divi is such a powerful tool um, that, you know, handing off websites to clients and stuff is actually pretty easy, I think, comparative to other WordPress themes, you know, or, or a WordPress, if you have a custom designed website built by a developer and they bootstrap it and build you a, a custom site just using WordPress, um, I think that it can be more cumbersome or difficult to train a client on how to use their website than using Divi because Divi is it's freaking badass, you know, and it's really powerful and it's drag and drop and, you know, even newbies that have never done websites before can uh, navigate it pretty easily. So yeah, we're yeah. going to talk about it today. But David, you said how powerful Divi is, but with more power comes more responsibility. <laughs> Spider-Man's been in all the news lately because uh, right. of studio drama. But um, yeah, Divi is really, really powerful and it can do a lot of things without having to touch code and be able to toggle different things, change the design. But that can also be a negative thing when handing it off to clients because with a few clicks, they can fully mess up that beautiful website that you just spent the last you know month or so designing and, and building for them. So I think that's something we should discuss too is like locking down sites and, and different things to consider depending on the client because I think that's a big thing is I don't think there's one like you know, set of rules that like, this is the way I do it for clients as I lock everything down. Cause some clients are going to want more access. And so I kind of take it on a client by client basis to see, okay, this client's a little more savvy. They're going to want to blog. You know, I, I can't lock everything down. Like they need to have access um, opposed to this client over here that like, they're afraid of it. They don't want access. So I think it, it you just kind of have to take each client on an individual basis. 
Yeah, and I was going to say that, like, even though, yes, things are easier to do with Divi, in some ways we're giving them more power than we've ever given them in the past. So when you used to build a custom website, like you would have to use custom fields and basically all you would give them access to is they would go into the page and they would have access to, like, you can input into this field some text. You can input uh, a photo into this field. You can put text into this field. And that was it. Like they only had control to do that. And so in some ways it was actually easier because we basically let them do nothing. Whereas <laughs> now we're saying, okay, this is it. You can see the whole thing. And yes, you can pick up and drag and drop this thing. And yes, you can change this text. And this is a blurb. You can change the icon. Like all of a sudden we're giving them more power than we've ever given them before. And in some ways I'm finding my training, the more stuff I'm doing to people's websites, my training is taking longer and longer and longer purely because I'm giving them ability to do more than they ever could before. So I kind of agree but in some ways, it's almost like we're starting to allow them more freedom, which means more and more and more training yeah. and more backfalls in case they stuff it up. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Because like before, you basically would give them, they would have access to add content. So like a blog post, like which is just using the WYSIWYG editor, yeah. post editor screen, or like the way you described, Sarah, with uh, custom fields, and which is, again, it's just content input into a field. But now it's yeah. design, it's like layout, it's everything. So yeah, that's... They can change colors. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, like you used to kind of, you would have like a, um, say you'd like have a row where they could choose, it could be gold or blue. That was their choices. Like there was a toggle where they could pick which color out of the gold or the blue that they wanted to pick. And that was it. Like that was their complete freedom. Whereas now all of a sudden we're like, you can pick any color you want, even if it looks terrible, go for it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. What well, I think one of the things that is so, when I said powerful Divi, you know, Divi gives you a ton of administrative rights on the website. So technically, if you wanted to just give them a couple of fields to fill out, you could still do that with Divi because you yeah. can lock down everything and give a an individual user certain permissions that they can access and not access so if you lock stuff down and you don't want them in plugins for example you don't want to mess them with the themes you don't want to mess oh, with yeah. the options and stuff i don't give any of my clients any of that access yeah that stuff's you can, you can like obliterate it it looks like the only thing they'll have is like a pay a blog post <laughs> <laughs> back in you know if you want true so, true um, yeah, well, what are some of the things that Sarah probably does more client websites? Oh, not probably. She does more client websites than Tim and I do. Tim and I still do client websites. Our businesses still do it, but it's we're very selective and very few on the ones that we do do. Um, so Sarah is more in the day-to-day -day client services stuff. So what are some of the things that you do when you hand off to a client to help train them, help learn them? Once you've once they've locked it, you've locked down whatever it is that you want to lock down and stuff. Okay, so do you want me to go through what I locked down? Absolutely, I think yeah. I think yeah, that'd okay. be great. Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, I've talked about this plugin before, but I'll talk about it again. Um, I use a plugin called 
Oh, now I'm going to forget what it's called. Menu Pro. Menu oh, Pro. Admin Editor Pro. Admin Menu Pro. Yep. I don't know how much it cost. It wasn't that expensive. Highly recommend you pay for the Pro version. Um, I can't even remember why I needed the Pro version, but I just recommend it. I think you should support a developer. I use it on every single website I use. So I highly recommend paying for the Pro version. Um, but what it does is you install it and then it basically gives you access to lockdown everything so it gives you you kind of have the menu bar but then you can go by type of user so you can have like admins have certain permissions then so you can even hide stuff from yourself so if there's stuff that you never ever need like for example when you install um, essential grid it installs this whole new menu item that's some sort of font like essential fonts or something like that I don't need it. I don't want to look at it. So I hide it from everybody. So there's kind of things that you can hide from everybody or then you can hide things just from, so most of my clients, I give them editor access. So as a starting point, I kind of have what I have access to and I reorder things so you can drag and drop. I like putting Divi up the top because I'm using it all the time. Uh, up the top. I think I'm, anyway, I moved it somewhere, wherever it was, I moved it somewhere else. Um, yeah, so you can, typically. Yeah, okay, so I move it right up the top because I like having it like right there so I could access it straight away. Um, okay. I hide the Divi menu from all editors, for example. So most of my clients are editors and basically all I give them access to is posts if they have a blog. Otherwise, I hide it because there's no point. I give them pages, I give them media, and then I give them some parts of the other things. So I don't give them all of forms, for example. <coughs> So I use Gravity Forms, but I don't give them all the forms because they don't need the add-ons menu item. They don't need the settings item. They just need the forms. They need to be able to see the data entry. That's all they need. Most of my clients don't want to export their forms, so I just hide it. I hide anything that they don't need access to. I give them the spot for their own user data, but I don't let them see any other users on the website. So the reason I lock it down this far, and this, like Tim said, this isn't every single client. Like some clients need more access than this. But for most clients, it's overwhelming. So for a start, what you're doing is a favor for them. You're making it super simple. They come into the website and all they can see is posts, pages, media, forms, my user data for like a really basic website. That's it. They don't need to see anything else. Like, and anything else is just going to make them feel overwhelmed. They're going to see more than they need to see. And then they're going to get confused with where do I click? So you want to make it super simple. The other thing you can do is you can change icons with it. So if someone has put some weird icon that makes no sense, you can change the icon. Or if um, you can rename stuff as well, which is also really useful. And then you can also go granular. So say you have three editors, but then you have one editor who needs also access to Essential Grid. Well, then you can customize just by that user. And so you can give just that user extra abilities to do more things. So from a security standpoint, it's much safer because then they can't access. If they try to go to one of the pages that is disallowed, they'll get an error which is great. So they can't actually, so security wise, it's really great. But then from a functional perspective, they are going to appreciate it because all of a sudden they don't have to see stuff that they don't need to see. And I always say to clients when I set it up, look, this is for you. So I haven't hidden stuff or disallowed stuff to be horrible. Like I'm not trying to make this a really awful experience for you. I'm not trying to make it so you can't do things. Like most of the times I hide the menu from them because they just don't need it. Uh, but if they need it, like I just say, let me know and I'll add it in there. I'm just trying to make it simpler for you and not give you access to stuff you don't need access to. And most clients really appreciate that. 
occasionally clients will ask for more and more and more and that's okay and I make it a decision on a case by case and if they want editor access that's fine but they're not on my hosting unless they have two-factor authentication I'm very strict on who gets um, um, admin access on my hosting so I'm really strict around that yeah yeah because they might log in and, and add some plugin that they think looks cool and then yeah, yeah little do you know or add users or or sometimes okay so say someone does need admin access maybe some random reason that they act, actually have to have uh, there was a thing where a, one of my clients had a shop so she needed to be a shop manager but when she was a shop manager, she then couldn't do things that an editor could do. It was this really random thing where one sort of access would give her something and one would give her something else, but she didn't have both things that she needed. So I made her an admin, but then I locked down just about everything except those two things that she needed access to. So she didn't have ability to add users. She didn't have an ability to go into Divi. She didn't have an ability to like go into like the settings areas, but she had what she needed. So that's another example of where making them admin, but cropping out the things that they don't need access to is really handy. So I always use that plugin. I occasionally lock down things in Divi. You know how you can go into Divi uh, user? Role editor. Yeah, role editor. So I, I, I kind of have a standard setting of things that I have just kind of already set up because most clients don't use 50% of what's there. So I would lock down about 50% of what's there, but I'm not super harsh. I don't do it every single time. I probably should, but I don't bother going in and just letting them have text, image, blurb, toggle. Like, you know, I don't individually case by case do it. I could, I guess, but I just kind of have locked out and hidden whatever generally websites don't need. And then I add them back if we need them. I don't know if you can do that. That's good. Yeah. I, I feel like role editor is one of those Divi features that's super powerful, but like doesn't get a lot of attention. No one talks about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I forget about it. And so I haven't used it in a really long time actually. Um, yeah. But so I, I guess my question for you, sir, is does it work really well with the visual builder, uh, the role editor to where it eliminates those options that you turn off, but it's still, everything runs smoothly. I think everything runs smoothly. There was an update. This is a while ago, so it's not an issue now, but there was this one update where I had things set up really well, pretty much across the board. Everyone kind of had the same role editor stuff because I tend to use the same stuff in websites. Um, And then there was this one update and all of a sudden none of my editors could access the second panel, the design panel. None of them. And so all of a sudden, all these clients are contacting me. I can't like go to this thing. that is, oh, It was such a pain. And so they would go in and they, I had to go back and change every single one of them. So that was some random update. But aside from that, I haven't had any issues with it. But like I said, I only really locked down. I just kind of hide out the junk that we don't use, like all the fancy extra features that just are unneeded. I probably should lock down... The problem is clients will need one aspect of the design tab sometimes. It's like it's not all the time. And so I kind of would like to be able to lock down the design and the CSS or the advanced tab for most clients, but they always there's always one thing that they need it for. And so then I can't. So I just don't worry about that. And I just, I, we'll get onto it in a minute, but I just go through it in training essentially. 
Yeah, no, that's helpful. So what I love about, I guess, WordPress and Divi is there's multiple ways to like lock down the menu using admin menu editor pro. Uh, and then there's also the settings in Divi of the role editor we just talked about, but then you can also, uh, I think David might've mentioned it, lock modules itself and sections and stuff like that to where like, okay, you yes. want the client to be able to edit, but like this area here, like this is a subscribe form that's like hooked up. Do you don't want not that. touch. Yeah. And so yeah. you can go in and you can lock stuff down on the page so that they can only edit like, you know, the text content, for example, or, or whatever. So I have definitely used that before, um, the lock element of it. And you can even make it so that, like, so that in the role editor, you can make it so that they can't unlock if something, for example. So um, there are some elements that I have locked because I'm nervous (laughs) that they're going to muck around with it. But for the most part, I end up just using the backups just in case um, rather than locking them down. But sometimes what I'll do is I'll just change the title to do not edit. Yeah. (laughs) Don't touch this. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'll say what it is. I'll say like subscribe form, do not edit. And so they know really clearly I'm not meant to touch this. So I usually do that rather than fully locking it down, but I guess I could be locking more things down than I have been to this point. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we've, we've kind of been talking about, you know, things that, we kind of lock down and stuff that we don't grant grant clients access to. Uh, well, once you've done that and you got the site ready and stuff and you're turning it over to them, there's a process that you're going to have to teach them how to use this new amazing tool that you're giving them in this great new website and stuff. So maybe we talk a little bit about some of the, the things that we do to train the clients and stuff, you know? Yeah. So one thing that I'll I'll go first, um, that I always do, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and volunteer to go first. Um, go for it is I do a live video call similar to this. I use zoom. Now I used to use Skype or, uh, uh, what was it? Um, uh, appear, appear. Google Hangouts. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember appear.in. Yeah. And so, but zoom just, it works the, the most, uh, smoothly, but anyways, I do a video call for the client after their site goes live. So once we, you know, make sure there's no hiccups with going live and all of that, well, then I do a live call to walk them through their site, uh, on the back end to show them how to use it, how to edit it. And I also record that call and then give them that recording later. And so um, I've done it a couple different ways and I've finally landed on doing it this way. I used to just do a quick video myself, record it and send it to them. But then I find out they have questions. And so if I do it with them, it's a little more hands-on. They can ask questions along the way, but then they can also access that video recording later. So if they need to uh, you know, remember how to do certain things and stuff like that. Um, and that seems to, to work really well. Um, I know some people will kind of create training videos and then send the same ones to, to different uh, clients every time. Um, I've found that having the little more um, personal touch of it being just for them works well because everyone's site's going to be a little different. There's going to be, you know, one client um, might need to, you know, access a lot of forms like gravity forms, like Sarah mentioned. So you need to show them how to, you know, download the entries and stuff. And so every client, every client's needs is going to be a little different. So I found just doing a, you know, a quick video, setting aside an hour, answer their questions, record it works really well for training. Um, inevitably, they're going to have questions that were answered in the video that instead of watching the video, they just ask you directly, but that's just human nature, I guess. 
I'm yeah. similar to that, except I don't do the live Zoom call. So I'm probably, well, I'm probably not similar. I'm probably the opposite. But I <laughs> I basically make, I use Loom, so another little Loom tool. Yeah. I use Loom and I make uh, videos, but I do make them customized. So every single time a website goes live, I make training videos for them. I usually start with about six training videos. I try and break them up into segments. So we'll do like an overview of the dashboard. So it'll kind of just run through, this is what you're going to see. These are the things on the menu. And then I go into the menu briefly and say, this is where pages is. We'll come back to this in another video. This is where media is. We'll come back to this in another video. This is So I just kind of show them around in one video. Then I go back and I do an individual video of each different section. So how to make um, content changes on your pages, for example. Um, how to use media and what size should you make your images and how do you resize them. Um, so I'll just kind of go through every section, like Tim said, go through the gravity. The reason I do that rather than a Zoom call, and I think like both have pros and cons, right? So the reason yeah. I do it is because I get diverted when I end up doing that and then I miss bits and then I end up having to add to it anyway. And so I end up doing it this way because... I know that I've covered everything. And then basically what I do is I say to people, you've got three months. So from this point, you have three months. I highly recommend you watch all the videos. I highly recommend you have a play and try and make some edits yourself during that three months. You can ask me any questions during that time to, of how to do something with your website and I will add to this folder. So I make them a Loom folder. Um, I send them the link and then I just keep adding videos. So if then they say, oh, I haven't worked out how I can edit the footer. Then I make another video and I say, no worries, I've added it to the folder. And so I just keep on adding new videos to the folder. So they'll usually end up with about 10 videos by the end of it. And then once that three months is up, then we can say, okay, we've officially finished our handover. And at this point, if you have any questions, I give my clients two hours of tech support during the year. And as much as I can, I just try and make more videos and adding them to the folder. So when I have to do something and I don't know how to do it, I usually record myself doing it, add it to the folder, and so then they can keep having a collection of videos. I think the reason this is really good, and it probably still works with your video handover, um, is just if they have staff changeover, then, you know, firstly they're going to forget because if you meet with them in person or whatever, they're, they're going to forget five seconds yeah. after. It's overwhelming. Like my experience is most of my clients say you go too fast it's too overwhelming. I have to pause 500 times, but at least I have the videos and I can watch them back again and again and again and again. Um, so I think, you know, videos are definitely the way to go, whether that's live and then you add extra videos afterwards or whether you make individual videos. I like individual videos because you can make them shorter and on topic. And so then if they need to go back, they don't have to go back and watch an hour and a half training video. They can kind of go back and watch just a bit on media because they just need or just on forms and they don't have to kind of search through <clears throat> all of the on I have, yeah, I, have, I have a question for you Sarah so yeah. what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that you create custom videos for every client yeah, yeah. and it's a part yes you, and you it's a not? part of my build-in time like how okay. Okay. partly because Divi is evolving all the time Right. And Divi is changing all the time. And I want the videos to be as Divi is at the time that the website is live, partly because sometimes there are bugs. Like at the moment, there is this stupid reloading bug. I don't know if you guys are having it, but every time you load a page, it reloads the page a second time. That needs to be spoken in a video because when they have it, they're going to freak out when they see it. So being able to say, 
Now, when this loads, it's just going to load a second time. This is a bug. It will be fixed, but so you know it's happening. Like, that's an important thing to have in a video. But secondly, like Tim said, I don't want to show them someone else's site. Most of my clients find it overwhelming as it is. If the menus are in different orders or if there are extra things in the video that aren't in theirs or if there's something missing that isn't in theirs or I'm showing them someone else's data, like, they don't want to see that. I think it needs to be personal. Like in my opinion, I get that it takes me an extra two hours on my build time, but I think that's well worth the extra two hours. Yeah. And every client's different. I mean, their needs and their types of website and what they're specifically going to be doing on a day-to-day or weekly basis on their website is not going to be identical unless they're loading a blog post. You know, that may be a blog post, may be about one of the only things that you might be able to you know, just reuse over and over and over. Maybe, but even still, like you're probably going to be setting it up in a different way. And like, you're going to get to know your client. You're going to get to know how tech savvy they are. So for some clients, you're going to have to really walk them through how to use every single element of it. And then there's some clients that are proficient in WordPress and you're basically just upskilling them on how Divi works. That's a whole different video between the two things. Totally. Okay. So I have a, I have a question and I want to know if, if you do this and our live audience viewers, I'm curious if you do this as well, because, you know, part of, I feel part of our responsibility when we build a new website for a client and when we turn it over to them, is not just about using the tool that we gave them to help them update them, but to help them have a stronger presence online, meaning SEO on page optimization. Obviously, if they go in and they put in new images, new content, are you recording videos, training them how to properly optimize that new post page image for search engines also? Yeah, 100%. So one of my videos is always on SEO. So it, sometimes I build it in with the media video and sometimes I just do a whole separate one on SEO. Um, but I always talk them through Yoast, so the page the page area where, and again, Yoast has changed lately. So you want to be doing a new video for Yoast because Yoast looks really different to how it used to look. But yeah, so you want to, you want to make sure that you've done it on Yoast and then also on media and also explaining that Divi does not bring the stuff through. I've had clients who have spent hours and hours and hours putting the stuff into the media area when I, I at the point didn't realize, and now I always explain, you have to do it in the Divi module itself as well. Um, so they need to know that stuff because otherwise they've done all this work putting it into the media area, but it's never getting to the front end of their website. Right. Yeah. I think that kind of stuff is really important and a lot of times overlooked. You know, people just turn over the website and say, here you go. And then they wait for feedback from the client. Hey, how do I do this? Or how do I do that? I can tell you that if you're proactive with your approach and you are very thorough and helpful, and as Sarah does, build it in your bill time, charge them for it. You know, yeah. um, you know, that's taken care of. You're covered anyways. That's going to go a million miles with, you know, potential future business. They're going to refer you. Sarah's a professional. Tim's a professional. They know what they're doing. We had all of our needs met. Um, yeah. And I bet you get a lot of clients from it as well. So there's huge upside and benefits beyond having to go and fix something on your client's website all the time because you haven't trained them. Um, 
there's potential more revenue and stuff for your company. I would say it ups the value of the website significantly. Like I would say eight out of 10 clients comment specifically on my videos and say, oh, those videos were so helpful. Thank you so much for those videos. Like, so I use videos along the process as well. So they get used to it as well. So in the design process, when we do the designs, we make a video to say, hey, these are the designs we've come up with. And we talk them through why we came up with the designs, what the pros are on each of the designs. So they've got to know how videos work. And what I find is clients along the way, either at that point or towards the end, I reckon 80% specifically comment on the fact that videos feel so helpful Um, and I would say it really increases the value of the website because they feel like it's been personal but they also feel like you're going the extra mile even though it was easier than me going to a meeting and then you forgetting and you asking me again and me having to retell you it actually is saving me time but for them they feel like I did more than the average person would have done. Yeah, well, it, it, it definitely feels like you do do more than the average person. Um, we have a question <laughs> from, from Aaron. Aaron said he wants to know, uh, do you have a templated script or an outline you use for your Loom videos? No, because I'm not <laughs> like that. But But for some people, they might find it's easier to do it that way. But for me... I'm very casual in my videos and I don't, I don't edit them. And, you know, if I sneeze, that's fine. If I go to a spot and then I'm like, Oh no, that's right. It's not in that section. It's over here. Like I will just talk the way I normally talk to a person because I like, I would prefer to just be myself, but I don't want to, there's no point. Like I think people want to see you as you are and it's okay if you stuff something up and you go to the wrong section or you try to edit something and then, Oh, that's right. Sorry. That's right. It is in this other place. Let's go over there and go and have a look at that. I think there's no problems with that. Like just be yourself and talk as if you were talking to them in person. Definitely. I agree. It's a lot more personal that way than reading a script. But I think if you want to make sure you don't forget anything, write notes like bullet points or an outline or something to make sure you cover everything. But I think talking in real time, not reading from a script just feels more personal and uh, relatable. And so you'll be able to connect to it more rather than like a formal tutorial where you're like reading from a, a script. Yeah. And to be honest, by the time you are making a video, you have spent hours and hours and hours in this particular website. So you will feel like you know this website inside and out. And so do your training as soon as it goes live, because even if your client doesn't need the training for three months or, you know, they're saying, I'm not going to touch it for six months. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Do the training straight away because you know it inside and out. You've been working in it nonstop. And so making that training video will be so fluid. If you have to do it in three months time and there's an element that you haven't worked with in those three months, you're going to be having to remember yourself how to use it. And that's not fun. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. All right. Well, we've, we have come to our intermission time of Divi Chat. This is new. I just thought of Ooh. it. This is where <laughs> everybody in the live chat smashes the like button. Oh, nice. Because <laughs> YouTube loves engagement. And they'll show they'll show this topic to more people who might be interested in WordPress and Divi. So smash that like button. Even leave us a comment. What would be great, I think, is if you would leave us a comment of what you guys do when you turn it over. If if we didn't cover something in, in this Divi chat, for example, you know, but you have something unique and different uh, 
that you do when you turn sites over to clients and you want to train them and stuff. Leave them in the comments below. That'll also help with the engagement. Okay, intermission's over. David, do you mean uh, in the chat? Because I don't think the YouTube comments are turned on until after the video is not live anymore. Oh, well, maybe that's the case. I'm not sure. So Tim's our resident definer, so he would know. And, uh, yeah, I don't, we'll come back afterwards, even after we're finished, and put your comments in there. Uh, I don't, mm, yeah, put them in the chat and the comments. We'll get like triple <laughs> likes, chat, comments. Man, this might be our most viewed video ever. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Not likely. <laughs> <laughs> Not likely, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, no, here's a question too um, that I think is worth talking about. I have some clients where they don't want to use their website and that they don't want to yeah. manage it themselves. They're like, that's what I'm paying Tim for. He's my web guy. You know, they're yeah. not, they're not like blogging regularly. You know, they're not changing content, stuff like that. If they have a new team member, you know, they pay me hourly to add the new team member. So I think those types of clients aren't going to really have that same level no. of training it's going to be a smoother handoff. And sometimes I prefer those clients because, you know, they're on the top tier of the maintenance service agreement because they're getting, you know, everything because they need more of my time to help, you know, manage it. It's not just, you know, software updates and backing up. It's actually like, Hey, we need you to go add this thing here or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think training for them is a little bit different, you know, cause like, for example, I have one client where, um, all they're doing is blog posts. And so they're not touching the, the pages. They're not, you know, touching Divi at all. They're not touching gravity forms. All they're doing is I showed them how to add blog posts, uh, you know, create new posts. And they're just using the, the classic editor. They're not using Gutenberg or Divi or anything like that. And so that's all they want to do. And so they learned how to, you know, do that and hit publish and then boom, they're done. And so, yeah, I think, it kind of goes into what we're talking about where it's kind of, you, you have to have a process where it can be tailored for every client. Yeah. Because uh, if you just have kind of like standard videos and hand to the client, well, one client's going to be like overwhelmed. Like I don't need to do that. Um, right. And so, yeah. And then I think too, it comes into like the whole, like with recurring revenue with the maintenance plans is if you, show them how to do everything, well, then maybe they're not going to want to be on the maintenance plan. So there's that kind of, I feel like something we could discuss too. Um, you know, but in general, it's like, you don't really want them to come to you for like, oh, I realize that there's a typo here. Can you go change that? You'd rather them do it themselves. So um, yeah, I, I'm curious what, what both of your thoughts are on that and how it relates to maintenance service agreements. Yeah, well, we're very specific in, in our maintenance service agreements where we don't actually maintain the website. You know, we do very specific functions. We perform very specific functions, whether it's updates, backups, uh, security, host, you know, those types of issues. If we do do maintenance, some clients we give an, an hourly allotment to, and they can use it however they want per month. You know, you get five hours of, of, of site updates. And if they want to use it to change typos, then guess what? We're going in to change typos. It's uh, right. that's just that's just the way that it is. So I think it just depends on how you set it up and um, you know how you word it and stuff. So if they want to pay you to change typos, let them pay you to change. Which typos. some will, some will be very yeah. happy. Yeah, they don't want to touch it. And, and that's the way I, ha I have it too. Where normally it's only these things, but they can you know pre 
purchase for a reduced rate, a certain amount of hours per month. If they don't use them, they don't roll over. It's just, this is what you get type of thing. And some people like knowing that that's there is huge because they're paying to have that peace of mind to know if I need to change something, I don't have to, you know, get overwhelmed by, uh, you know, editing a website. Tim's my guy that I can rely on. And so yeah. I'm going to just send him an email. And so they're willing to pay that even though most months, most clients don't use them at all. It, it'll be like once <laughs> in a year, they use up their hours. Right. Yeah. And I want to, I want to kind of tie in another aspect of site handoffs because I think it's really applicable here. And, 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 Tammy asked a good question. It made me think of it. You know, how do we handle paid licenses if they're not on your maintenance plans and stuff? Um, Maintenance maintenance plans, obviously, if our clients are on our maintenance agreement or service agreement, we go ahead and we put in our unlimited licenses because, you know, we're basically one. It's just easier. We're their support anyways. They're contacting us. If there's an issue with their website, it's just easier. If they're not going on to our service agreement and stuff, we make them purchase all of their own licenses and stuff. So that's how we handle it. What about you guys with licensing and stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. Like if I ask them up front if they're going to go on my maintenance. Part of selling my maintenance is the fact they get all that stuff included. So they get gravity forms, they get clean talk, which is a spam filter. They get like all this premium stuff, which is great. They get my Divi license, all of those kind of things. But as soon as they decide to leave, they're going to have to get their own licenses for all that stuff. And if I know up front, then I'll put them on Caldera forms. I'll put them on um, a Kismet instead for um, spam filters. So if I know up front they're not going to stay with me, then I'll put them on all the free stuff that I can. I can never guarantee that it's going to be all perfect. They're going to have to do their own backup so they're not getting my updraft premium, all that kind of stuff. But if they're with me for maintenance, that's the whole point, right? Like, and I say very clearly in my, um, in like, what's it called in the proposal that what what they're getting is worth however much per year and that includes like all these licenses so they're getting all these licenses included as a part of the price of me maintaining their website um and that's that's just what's involved in terms of the amount of time that my clients my clients in general don't want monthly retainers so i don't i don't have anybody who's on monthly retainer so what i do is i have i mean maybe i should be trying to get people on it but for most part people feel like it's already quite a bit of money that they're spending and so they get two hours a year technical support and i would say for 90 percent of my clients that's enough for them they like they have a couple of things that they want to change a year and that's it and they get that in their two hours and they're really happy with that but then they also get 20 percent off my regular rate so if they want to purchase time, then they can purchase it and they get 20% off that as a part of being on my maintenance. And so for most people, they'll just use it that way. So some people will be like, yeah, I need 10 hours and they'll get that 20% off and we do that. But I don't have it on a regular um, retainer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. Uh, paid software licenses I include for free if they're on my maintenance plan. Otherwise... They have to get it or what I'll do for like for Divi, for example, is I'll hand it off and I won't include my license key and I'll tell them, here's where you go to purchase it. Here's my, I'll give them an affiliate link, Um, but I'm not going to make that a requirement to like go buy it ahead of time type of thing. It's kind of like, here's, I highly recommend if you're going to maintain the site, you need to update the software. Here's where to get it type of thing. But would you tell them up front though, that there is that cost coming? 
because yes. it would be a bit of a shock. Like, I mean, I'm I'm pretty upfront about the fact that I use Divi. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I try as much as I can. If I'm going to add anything that if there's a recurring cost, I always check with them before I choose that product because whereas Divi is just, this is what I use. Like I use Divi. You don't really get a choice about the fact that I use Divi. Um, but they do get a choice whether I use paid membership pro or whether I use WooCommerce or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And, and I feel like most of my clients, I am maintaining their site. It's very few, yeah. but they usually let you know, like right away, like, oh, I'm going to maintain yeah. it myself. Like I know how to use WordPress or whatever. I just need yeah. to design and build it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if it, we may have said this last week, but I think it's worth restating here because, and, and I don't know how individual plugins handle it comparative to Divi from Elegant Themes, for example, but, and I didn't even know that you could do this until last week. So um, I don't want you to think I'm, you know, super smart and I just know, <laughs> I just, I just learned it myself, but I thought it was awesome is that Divi allows you to create unique license keys for clients. So you can, if they end your service or maintenance agreement and they're no longer with you, you don't have to go in and obliterate all your, your clients' websites, licenses and stuff. You can just kill that one license, tell them to go over. Do you guys know if like Gravity Forms has that ability and some of the other common paid um, software that a lot of people use? Do you know if they're- No, but it, they do have the ability to usually go into their website and kill a website's access. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. Some of them have websites versus APIs. So for, for my products and your products too, David, because we both use easy digital downloads, as do a lot of WordPress plugins out there, the, the software licensing that's built into easy digital downloads can do exactly what Sarah mentioned, where you can remotely deactivate a site that's using the license key. And so, because I'll, I'll have people that'll ask like, you know, what if a client like steals my license key and then goes and uses it? It's like, well, you can see every site yeah, from your Divi Live account that's using your key and then you can remotely, you know, and if we need to generate you a new one and kill your old one, we can do that type of thing. And so you don't have as much control as, David, what you're saying with Elegant Themes now has where you can create new license keys and right. then have it one for each client. Can yeah, you, was, go ahead. Uh, I, I think when they first rolled it out, they you couldn't label what each one was. Did they add that feature where you can now say like, okay, this is... I think so. I haven't okay. used it, but I'm pretty sure that I saw that that was a thing. Because I was thinking it would be good if you did make a website for someone who was, say, not going to stick with your maintenance, you might say to them, you can have a year. And so, you know, like you could give it to them for a year and then after a year you could kill it as a way of kind of saying, set you up for the next year, but at that point you're going to need to get a new license. Highly recommend you look for the sale between now and then. Okay, Everybody yeah, in the chat says, yes, it is labeled now. There you go. It can be. Yeah, I haven't used it yet. I mean, I think it's a great feature. I just haven't got around to using it. Um, mostly because everyone generally sticks with maintenance with me. So it's very yeah. rare that someone yeah. doesn't stick with maintenance. John has an idea here. He says on any correspondence to client during handoff, offer reminders for ongoing maintenance, training for residual income, offer incentives for referrals, get testimonials too, if you need it. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That's, her. that's just Marketing 101, you know, always stay in touch. Let them know about the, the services that you offer and stuff. And because you never know, just because when they build the website, I will tell you this, 
you build the website, they shoot you down and they say, oh, no, I won't need any of that stuff. And then they're managing their own site for a few months. And then you send out a reminder. And if you have something in there and they're like, I am taking them up on that because I am (laughs) website. Because yeah, what you got to do is if someone doesn't take on maintenance, make sure you put WordFence on and then turn on all the alerts. Just make sure all the alerts are on for WordFence because then within two weeks, they'll be contacting you and they'll be like, <laughs> hell no, my site's <laughs> being hacked. Help, help, help. Oh, that is so funny. That's a great idea. If you did not hear that, install free word fence and turn on all notifications and make sure that it goes to the client email and not your email and you will get a slam dunk on a service contract and a maintenance contract the amount of times that i have set like handed over to a client put word fence on and then they've said i think my site's being hacked and they forward me one of the emails and i'm like no that's just an alert it's fine it's not a big deal Yeah, I, I love that. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, WordFence, the amount of alerts. Oh my gosh, it's insane. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, uh, we've kind of covered what we locked down. We've, we've talked about handing off sites to clients and stuff. Um, are there any? We haven't talked about how we hand over like uh, like passwords and stuff. So whether or not someone is going to be maintenance or whether you're completely handing it over and therefore you're needing to give everything over. Um, I use LastPass. I don't know what other people use. Please don't send passwords via email. Um, You can send passwords via iMessage because that's encrypted. But it's, I mean, some people find something like LastPass too overwhelming. And even like there are some clients where I've ended up having to say to them, look, here is the password, but please change it. And you just have to hope to all hope and explain to them what will happen if they don't change that password. But I would highly recommend that. And I generally don't make the user until right at the end. And then I just make it so it emails them and they yeah. can send their own. Yeah, yeah. We, use, we tell them to reset the password. Yeah, what I do regardless of whether or not they're going to be on maintenance is at the start of the project, I create a Gmail account specific to them, even if they're already using Google and Gmail and all that, I'll create it, you know, blah, 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 client website redesign, for example, at gmail.com. And then anything I have to create, I will uh, use that email. So if I have to create like a Cloudflare account or uh, what's really handy um, since it's already uh, a Google account is um, for Google Analytics and uh, Google Search Console and all of those things, um, I'll use that email. And then that way I can hand everything over. Everything was created with that email. So it's an easier handoff because it's one thing and everything's attached to it. And then they can go in if they want to add their username or whatever. Now, I if I'm going to be maintaining their site for them, I probably won't hand that whole thing over to them uh, unless they like request it, but it's kind of there almost. So like if they decide to go a different direction or close their business you know, or whatever, there's a clean break. I guess if they close their business, they wouldn't yeah. do that, but you get what I'm saying. So you can hand it over and there's not like, you know, three years later, they're being like, Hey, you designed our website three years ago. Like we need access to Google analytics. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want to be messing with that. Like if, the, if we're parting ways, you know, for whatever reason, like I want a clean break, like, you know, yeah, done. it certainly makes it easier if you do that. I like, I haven't done that. I've thought of, if I know someone is not sticking with me, then I have done things like that. But 
often what I find is people start with maintenance and then maybe they find it too expensive because they're a really small business and it's just beyond their capacity. They're not upset about it, but, and then at that point they want to hand over. The challenge with that is I have everyone on the same Cloudflare account, for example, because I don't want to have to log into 500 different Cloudflare accounts just to like clear the cache or whatever. So I don't know, like, I think it's a fabulous idea, but I've never done it because I feel like it inconveniences my life day to day. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. And I used to have, and I still have a bunch of clients on the same Cloudflare account. And actually that's part of the reason why I started creating the Gmail account was because of Cloudflare, because I was like, uh, I'm managing your DNS and your Cloudflare account, but like, uh, you know, I'm not managing anything else. And so it made it really difficult. So I started actually doing that yeah. mainly for Cloudflare so that okay. it wasn't attached to everything else. It is more inconvenient, I- but if you use something like LastPass or I just use Safari's built-in iCloud password um, yeah. or it'll remember it, you know, it makes it easier than digging around for a password to get into the cloud. I think it's a good idea. Like I've definitely had clients come to me and say, we need access to Cloudflare so we can update DNS. And I've had to say, well, I can't give that to you, but give me the DNS and I'll make the changes. So it would allow for that as well, which I think is probably cleaner and I probably should do it. I'm just lazy and trying to make my life easy. Yeah. Aaron asked if I uh, store all the credentials for the Gmail account that I create for clients in LastPass. I actually, I do use LastPass, but I mainly use Safari's, uh, has a built-in iCloud password thing that you can access from all your devices. And since I'm all Apple all the way, I I use that for for this sort of thing. Um, However, LastPass is better if you're going to be sharing a lot of passwords because you can do that with with the iCloud version of the, or keychain is what they call it. Um, so yeah, if you're going to want to actually send the password to the client, then LastPass is yeah. definitely better. Yeah. LastPass is all, fabulous all of the, that. all of the above. So LastPass plus, you know, we create a Gmail, unique Gmail account for each and every client. Yeah. And we, we create everything under that Gmail account and it's so much simpler. And yes, we, we keep the passwords in LastPass, um, yeah. because of that fact, it's easier to get it to the client than in the keychain and stuff. Um, yeah. So, so then it brings in the fact of two-factor authentication though, right? Which I know no one wants to talk about two-factor authentication, but for Cloudflare, I think it's essential because that is the entire DNS for your website. Yeah. And if someone got into your LastPass account, uh, into your Cloudflare account, like that's everything, right? Like they can do a lot with DNS. So I have two-factor, and I think that's probably another reason I don't want to have 500 of that because I've already got 500 two-factor authentications for all of my website admin login. Do you guys have two-factor set up for those? What's two-factor authentication? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to answer that for the users as the resident definer? Sure. So two-factor <laughs> yes. authentication, you, one factor is all you need is a password to get in. Well, username and password. Where two-factor, you need something additional. Typically what it is, is they send you a code to your mobile phone. So you need the password. But don't do it phone. that way. What's that? That way is highly, highly being hacked. Don't do it that way. Wait, then what's the other way? Tell them. Drop some knowledge. Oh, the Google Authenticator, like one of those tools? Yeah. Don't get an SMS to you. If you have an option, they're de- degrading it everywhere. Is that the word? Really? They're, they're dropping it everywhere because people's mobile phones are getting hacked. And therefore, if someone can, it's basically this SIM hack where they can 
work out a way to change the SIM card over and they can use it on their phone and therefore they can get in. Particularly, they try and get into your email to get started. But it's like, I think WordFence has already turned it off or is starting to turn off that ability to have it SMS to you. So just use the Google Authenticator version of it. Interesting. Please. Yeah, no, that's good to know. Sarah is our resident security expert because uh, your husband's in uh, security, right? He is. But do you know where I get most of my information these days is the WordFence podcast. No, <laughs> no. I get Clearly it from no. the WordFence Word Word podcast comes out twice a week and they give you up-to-date information about particularly WordPress security and it is fascinating and they're always giving you like really up to date like this is where things are going wrong these are the plugins where people are abusing it that kind of yeah. stuff so the, highly recommend also three factor authentication where it's something you have <laughs> something you uh something i forget the, the the third one though is something you are which is like a fingerprint a retina scan uh, right. facial recognition stuff but yeah, yeah so in some ways i would have that right because in order to get into my two-factor you right. have to have my yeah. um your yeah. face id my yeah. face id to get yeah. into there which then so, gives me my two-factor which then means you know sarah it's a good point which two and the other thing which one do you use? Oh, oh, I'll tell you. Um, and I'll tell you for a very good reason. <laughs> the other thing my husband has is a, like, it's a YubiKey. So it's like this, and it makes life simple. And I want to get one, but I haven't got one. But it's this USB that you put into your thing. And so you kind of tap it with your thumb. So you have to physically have it with you, basically, um, to be able to Oh, use yeah, that I know what you're talking about. That's been around for a while. And, yeah, yeah. And... It's like, that one's a really good one to use. Because yeah. you can't, I use one called Lockdown. So lockdown is on my um, phone. The reason that I use it, it was a paid one. I think it was like 10 bucks or something like that. Um, the reason I use that one is because I dropped my phone in the toilet about four years ago and I, I was using Google Authenticator and all of my two-factor just disappeared because it doesn't back up in Google Authenticator. And so I then went searching for one that does back up um, so, so obviously there is a risk to backing it up, um, but I I have so many two factor that okay, I don't want to. I use I didn't. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say I, I did move to having it on two devices. So I then added it to my iPad and to my iPhone just so that if there was a problem, then it was on my iPhone as okay. well. Okay, Sarah. I don't know what you're looking at. Okay, yes, so that's it. it. That's it. Lockdown apps. I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's called lockdown. Um, but the reason I use it, it does allow you to back it up, which is great. But the other thing it allows you to do is have a separate section for favorites. And so what I have, because I have so many two factors and it also allows you to search. So that was my main thing I was looking for was because I had this massive long list of two factors. It was a nightmare to try and find the one I was looking for. So you can search it, you can name anything you want to name it. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, that's it. That's it. Four bucks. There you go. Here, here's a question, folks. Do you do two-factor authentication for all client sites too? Yes, absolutely. If anything that you're an admin for, you should have two-factor authentication. You can. WordFence is really great because it's got this new um, login area, and so WordFence has added this security section of its login where it allows you to whitelist your IP. And so I have in my house, we pay an extra $10 a month for a single IP address. 
And so with our internet, with people's internet, it will change your IP address randomly, blah, blah, blah. You can pay to have one IP address. So I've paid to have a single IP address. And then in WordFence, I whitelist that IP address. And then that way, when I go to my website, so I set up my two-factor through WordFence. You didn't used to be able to do this. It's a new feature. It's in the free version. It's fabulous. Um, you can then whitelist your IP. So when I go to log in and website, I never have to do two-factor if I'm at home. I only have to do it if I'm away from my house. So all of a sudden, I'm not having to worry about two-factor for most of the times I log into right. my websites. Yeah, gotcha. yeah that's awesome. Yeah, because yep. what I hate is when, like, I, I think two-factor is awesome and it's obviously super useful, but when things are overly locked down for something that doesn't necessarily need to be overly locked down. So for example, yep. a lot of client sites, brochure, it's not getting updated a lot like it's not e-commerce there's no sensitive information is you know and you're on a secure host like is two-factor authentication necessary in that yes case? if if it's an admin account yes is 100 necessary because if someone can get into an admin user they can get into your entire server potentially so yes it is essential for an admin user for an editor user no if you've locked it down so that they only have access to pages, I never make my editors have two-factor. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, yeah, if you're on a shared server and you have all your clients. But on even there. on BPS, like if someone somehow but, gets well, For example, I host like 90% of my clients on WP Engine, right? And everything is partitioned and it's not under, it's not like SiteGround, for example, where you have like all your clients and you have access to the entire partition um, i still would i like do, do do whatever you want in like and i am obviously not the expert of experts in terms of what listen to sarah folks do yeah. it i believe it. i'm not saying it's a bad account. idea but when i go to like for example to do a quick update and i have to like wait to get you know whatever on my phone do you use manage wp because if you use manage wp you bypass the two-factor so what I used to do was I used to log into Manage WP, which make sure you do two-factor for Manage WP because oh, obviously yeah. then you can bypass the two-factor. But if you then you just log in at the start of the day to Manage WP, use your two-factor for that, and then you can get into everything without two-factor. So if you're not using WordFence, that's your way around yeah. that. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I'm not trying to discourage anyone from doing it, but for like clients, brochure-style sites, not a lot going on. Like I've never had a, a site hacked because I'm using good, good hosting, good, strong But just because you haven't had it hacked doesn't mean it can't be hacked. Of course. And but I mean, you could say that about anything. You get hacked. Like just because I mean, a palm very... tree hasn't fallen on me doesn't mean a palm tree can never fall on me. I mean, that's essentially the argument. I'm just saying like for an e-commerce site, like my main business, absolutely. That thing is locked down like Fort Knox, everything possible. But like for but what happens if the brochure site that's sitting right near it, something it's not happened. though. It's not though. Not with WP Engine hosting. If I was on like well, the advantage with or... WP Engine is that if it does get hacked, they will clean it for you. So like yes, that's no, a great. The, the, the server configuration is set up completely different though. It's you can't have cross-site contamination like you can with like normal shared hosting. Like it's completely right. Different. Then do whatever you want. But for most people, they're not with WP Engine. And so for most people, I would be saying, yeah. please, 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 please do two factor if you are an admin of any website. Well, I'm going to say this one last time. 
Listen to Sarah. Put the two-factor on there. I'm not telling anyone to do anything. I'm just speaking from my own experience. Like overly locking things down can be a pain in the butt when like time is of the essence on a low security site where it's not e-commerce and stuff like that. That's all I'm saying. But I get that it's a pain in the butt. Like that's my life, right? And I'm constantly looking for workarounds, which is where I think the WordFence new fabulous feature is amazing or using managed WP is fabulous. I get the two factories are paid in the butt, but to be honest, it only takes one thing. And if that one thing gets hacked and then say it impacts somehow, like somehow something happens and it then impacts all of your websites. Imagine the time that you're going to have to spend on fixing all of those websites. If I was on shared hosting, I would hundred percent agree and do that. Like I would totally do that. But yeah, the way that I'm, my hosting is set up, it's the worst case scenario is I'd have to roll back a day. Um, if that happened, which, yeah. And you're paying like for that premium, right? And that's sure. fabulous. And that's, you know, so if you can afford it, I always say to people, if you can afford it, do WP engine, like absolutely. But I would still have two factor as a personal preference. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, we're going to put all of these in the show notes, all the tools that we talked about, the tips and stuff. Leslie, you got a busy week this week with the show notes, by golly. Where has <laughs> Leslie been? She hasn't been on in like weeks. No, she was on last week. It's summer over there. You that's guys probably, like... Yeah, Before that, though, it was weeks. I know. It was... I'm the one that's been missing for weeks, Tim. I'm the one. You were here happy. last week. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I know she was here last week is because, hey, I just happened to be here last week. So, But I'm going to be here going forward and stuff. I have missed my Divi chat. And it's been good. I mean, this has been a great topic. I didn't think we were going to be able to cover an hour on this topic, but by golly, we blew past an hour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we even talked about security and handoffs. And yeah. yeah, passwords, whole nine yards. So there's some really good information in here. Divi is an extremely powerful tool that gives you some uh, ways to help with that client handoff and stuff with the role editor we've obviously mentioned the admin menu editor we're going to put links to all these things in the in the show notes and stuff but do these things make your life easier set up the process you're going to look like the super professional compared to your peers i can tell you and they're going to come back to you time and time again and want you working on their website as opposed to anybody else because it does look like you're going above and beyond um what everybody else does so I hope this topic was helpful. Uh, thanks everybody for coming out with the uh, in the live chat. It has been awesome seeing all the engagement and everybody saying hey and um, and thank you so much for smashing the like button in yeah. the permission session. We're going to start doing that more often because yeah. we got 15 likes on the video before it even ends. Come back, leave some comments, and uh, help us get some engagement in that way as well. And I'd like to say a special welcome to Mesa, who has said that they're a long-time listener to the podcast, First Time Live. Welcome! Hey! Nice. All right. And it's in, in, in the U.S., it's Mesa. Mesa. Oh, sorry. We're in, <laughs> we're in, the, uh, in the southwest where these lots of Mesas are right now. So. Cash, cash, you know, it's all yeah, the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, for, thanks for coming out. That's awesome. I'm glad. If you're listening to this on you know, iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or, you know, Spotify or wherever else you're listening to us, come join us live on uh, Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we would 7 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard. Yeah, 
7 a.m. Australian, whatever the heck down in the bottom of the world. That's what time it is. So, That's right. I don't know what our topic is next week, but we've probably got a great one. You'll have to come back next week and find out what it is. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Take care. Yeah? Bye-bye.